Welcome to the Florida Bar Podcast, where we highlight the latest trends in law office and law practice management to help you run your law firm. Brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Institute. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Practice Resource Institute on Legal Talk Network. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbrey. I'm the Senior Practice Management Advisor at PRI and one of the hosts for today's show, which is being recorded from our offices in Tallahassee, Florida. Hello, I'm Carla Eckhart. I'm a Practice Management Advisor at the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Institute and co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at PRI is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We'll be focusing on a different topic each month, and we'll carry the theme through our newsletter and website with related tech tips and articles. So this month at PRI, our topic is the board certification process and the legal specialization and education department, which oversees that, also known as LSE. Today, we're going to be speaking with Diana Kellogg, director of the LSE department, Jessica Malloy, education compliance and accreditation manager in LSE, and attorney Stephen D. Rubin, chair of the Florida Bar Board of Legal Specialization and Education. Steve is a sole practitioner in Boca Raton and is a Florida Bar certified real estate attorney. Welcome to the show, everyone. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's great to be here. I want to start with you, Steve. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do in your role as the chair of the Florida Bar Board of Legal Specialization and Education. As you said, I've been certified as a Florida Bar real estate attorney. Uh, I've been certified since 1995, been a member of the Florida Bar since 81. I previously served before I became uh, a member of the BLSE, Board of Legal Specialization Education, on the Real Estate Certification Committee for about six years and was chair of that committee. I was appointed to the BLSE in, I think, 2012, and this year I am acting as chair. And the Board of Legal Specialization Education essentially oversees the certification program. We have, at this point, 27 areas of certification, and each area has its own certification committee. And the certification committees are primarily responsible for processing certification applications and reviewing peer review and ethics materials and recommending to the board whether an applicant should be certified or not. Once that recommendation comes to the board, it's the responsibility of the board to review what the certification committee has done to approve a recommendation or sometimes to deny a recommendation. And ultimately, the board has the obligation to certify an attorney in one of the areas of certification. Another function that the board has is to manage the continuing legal education side of the bar where attorneys and other sponsored programs seek accreditation for continuing legal education programs. Part of our policies provide guidelines to sponsors of programs as to how to obtain certain CLE credits and the components of obtaining credits. Those programs are approved by the board, and then our board through staff and administration keeps track of each attorney's compliance with continuing legal education. 
Okay. So we have a lot of new attorneys joining the bar. And so I want to start kind of at the basics. What does it actually mean when a lawyer is board certified? Board certification is actually defined in Chapter 6 of the rules regulating the Florida Bar, which obviously means that the Florida Supreme Court has approved of the program. And there are certain components that uh, applicant must obtain and attain in order to become board certified. First, an attorney has to have been practicing for at least five years. The attorney has to have substantial involvement in the practice area. Substantial involvement usually means that at least 40% or so or more of the lawyer's practice has to be in the particular practice area for that certification area. The lawyer has to have taken a certain number of continuing legal education courses in the specific practice area. General CLE credits usually do not qualify for certification credits. So for example, in my area of real estate law, anytime I take a CLE course and general credits are awarded, they do not count towards my real estate certification CLE requirement. I have to take a certain number of CLEs, which grant real estate certification CLEs, and that's true for all the other areas of practice. There is also a peer review and professionalism and ethics review requirement. When an applicant applies for certification, they have to uh, submit themselves to a peer review process where attorneys in their practice area are asked to give their opinion about the applicant's reputation in the area and whether that applicant has the specific knowledge and skills to be known as a certified lawyer and whether there are any incidents of uh, ethics or professionalism that would concern them in terms of the BLSE granting certification status. There's also a routine review of the attorney's record of ethics with the Florida Bar. An inquiry is made directly to the regulatory section of the bar to make sure that there have been no complaints filed against that attorney or if there are what they were. And the disposition, because certain types of complaints where a sanction is imposed disqualify the attorney from being board certified. And the final component is an examination. And uh, all the areas administer an examination to test the lawyer's knowledge and skills in the particular practice area, and an attorney must pass that examination uh, as a final component of qualifying as a certified lawyer. So there are all of these components together assure that when an attorney has been certified, that other lawyers, the courts, members of the public know that that lawyer has, as the motto says, been tested for expertise and evaluated for professionalism and ethics. So there's quite a lot involved getting through this process. Can you tell an attorney that's looking into this, what are the benefits? Why do they want to become board certified from the consumer side? That is, I consider to be a lawyer by lawyer determination. Some lawyers think that by becoming board certified that they will have an advantage or an edge in marketing their practice or directing consumers to their law firm because of the board certification designation. And I'm sure that's true and it's important to many lawyers. And then there are others, I think like myself, where I'm not certified because I am marketing my law firm, but I am certified because of a personal goal and desire 
to improve myself with respect to the practice of law, to improve my skills, to acquire more knowledge, to keep up to date on the law, to demonstrate that, in fact, I am an ethical and professional lawyer, uh, which to me is one of the more important facts of a lawyer's reputation, that you are known to be an ethical practitioner and a professional practitioner not just someone who might know the law. And so for me, the most important aspect is to be known as that person with a special skill and knowledge, but with the person that uh, you can trust and that the lawyer's word is his bond and you can deal with that person professionally as you should do in this profession. And how many Florida bar members approximately, if you don't have an exact number, do you think or know are board certified? There are approximately 5,000 lawyers who have attained board certification. I believe there are approximately 118,000 total members of the Florida Bar presently, so it usually is hovering around 5% of the bar. Right. And you went over the requirements earlier, and they're quite extensive. How often do you need to be recertified? Is there a difference in the examination? What's the process for that, if any? Sure. Once you are qualified as a certified attorney, every attorney has a five-year cycle of certification. When the five-year cycle ends, an attorney is required to apply for recertification. The recertification process varies from area to area, but none of the areas require another examination. All the areas would require the applicant to confirm that they still have substantial involvement in the practice area, that there have been no ethics or professionalism problems during that preceding five-year period, that you've met continuing legal education requirements during the five-year period that you were just certified. You also undergo an additional peer review so that the peer review process is up to date. And as long as you remain continuously involved in your practice area and have met your CLEs and your peer review comes back satisfactorily, the serious committee would recommend that your certification be approved for another five-year cycle, and it, it would be approved. If for some reason you're no longer substantially involved in the practice area or you've had an ethics issue, it's quite possible that your recertification application could be denied. So it's a process to make sure that the certified attorney who's holding themselves out as an expert and who is professional and ethical remains so in the following certification cycles. So I like that you talk about beyond just being competent, knowing the law, you really stress the ethical side of it. And so I believe that part of the process, and you mentioned this, if I'm applying to become board certified, I have to go out and get like letters from maybe it's judges or peers attesting that I am a ethical person. Can you talk about that? I mean, like if someone is a new attorney, who do they have to contact to submit those? Is it a letter? Is it a form? What are they getting from those people? The way it works is when the attorney submits the application for certification, there is a section of the application which asks the attorney to list about five references. And depending upon the area of practice, those references are usually other attorneys, Sometimes they don't have to be another attorney. For the litigation areas, it probably would include uh, judges who are presently on the bench. 
and the attorney lists those references with by name and address, and then the bar staff sends a form out, a confidential form, to each of these references and asks each reference to complete the form and send it back to the bar. And, and the key is a confidential reference. Under the rules uh, regulating this program, when an applicant applies for certification, they acknowledge and agree that all the references' responses remain confidential. And that's to make sure that each reference is not hindered in giving an honest and open opinion to the bar staff and to the certification committee about whether they, in fact, believe that this applicant should be certified and whether there have been any particular issues concerning this lawyer's practice. Once the bar staff gets those original five references back, there's also a question in the reference which asks the attorney who submitted a reference if they know of any other attorney who would have information or knowledge about the applicant. And generally speaking, the reference will list some additional references. And from there, staff sends out the additional reference forms. And then in many instances, staff will also send out what are called blind references, where they look where the attorney is practicing. They select some uh, attorney's names from that practice area, and they send out a reference form to see if that attorney just happens to know about this particular applicant. And sometimes it's a little difficult when an attorney practices in a very small rural area, because there may not be a lot of other attorneys who know them. But we will recognize that in the review process and work with the applicant if that's the type of situation that they're in. So it's a fairly comprehensive reference system. You would think, and I think generally speaking it's so, that the five references that the attorney selects on the application will generally give a positive response for that attorney's recommendation to be certified. But then as the spider web extends and the tentacles go out, you get more and more a varied opinion about an applicant because those are ones who are not actually handpicked by the applicant herself. It sounds like almost like an FBI background check. You are really looking into this. It's impressive. How long does the process last after the person has submitted everything? Are we talking months or a year? How long does it take for someone to... Typically what happens is there are two cycles for certification. Since we have about 27 areas, one hasn't really started up yet, that international litigation arbitration. But they're about equally divided between two cycles just because of staff resources. So typically, for example, in the real estate area, to apply for recertification or certification, you have to apply by, I think, October 31 of the current fiscal year. And you can certainly submit your application sooner. And as you can imagine, it usually takes about a couple of months for staff to get the application, file it, and actually send out the reference request and then have the person respond to the reference form. Sometimes responses come in very quickly. Usually for the ones where the reference has been named in the application itself, they come back quickly because obviously the applicant has selected them to submit a reference. The secondary references may take a little longer. And generally speaking, this process has to conclude by the spring of the following year because that's when the examinations are taken. One of the cycles has examinations in March of each year, and the other cycle has examinations in May of each year. So typically, the peer review process and the ethics and professionalism investigation 
should be concluded before an examination, and most of them are, and most of them are concluded with a recommendation that they be allowed to take the examination. But there are instances where there are open issues of ethics or professionalism, or an insufficient number of references have been sent back, and those applicant files remain open until there is a sufficient response for the area committee to make a recommendation. But once the exam comes by, the process is supposed to end after the examination is taken. So by June of the following year, if the applicant applies in October of 2018, typically by June of 2019, the entire process has been concluded, the repair review has been finished, and the examination has been taken. Hopefully the applicant passes the examination and they're ready to be certified the following month. If someone doesn't make it through the first cycle that you described, are they told why that they haven't been approved to take the exam? They are entitled to know expressly by the certification committee that their application is under consideration for denial. The area committee would specifically send a letter to the applicant and would cite the part of the rule, whether it's a BLSE policy or one of the rules in Chapter 6 regulating the Florida Bar, as to why the area committee is recommending denial. The area committee will not and cannot specifically state, for example, that attorney John Doe mentioned a specific incident and said that you should not be certified based upon this incident. You cannot violate the confidential aspect of these reference forms. So it would be more along the lines of we have received information that indicates that your record of ethics or professionalism is unsatisfactory and then put into generic terms what the type of incident was. And the applicant then has an opportunity to respond to that recommendation of denial with additional materials or a written response. The area committee is supposed to review that response, consider it, and determine whether the recommendation of denial should be changed, which it can, or whether it continues with the recommendation of denial if the additional information doesn't warrant a change. And then the applicant has the opportunity to contest the Area Certification Committee's recommendation of denial to the Board of Legal Specialization and Education. We will then review that file, and if the Board of Legal Specialization determines that the Area Committee's decision to recommend denial should be upheld, we then give the applicant an opportunity to appear before the BLSE and argue why a certification should be granted. If the BLSE still recommends or decides that certification should be denied, the applicant has the opportunity to file an appeal with the Florida Board of Governors, which first goes to a, a committee before the Florida Board of Governors, and then it actually can be appealed to the Florida Board of Governors itself. And then lastly, if the applicant doesn't agree with the Florida Board of Governors' decision, they could take it to the Florida Supreme Court. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and I want to ask the exams that they take. So I know that you said we have 27 different practice areas that they can become board certified in. These exams they're taking, are they like a mini bar exam? Are people prepping and cramming for these? How involved are the exams? The exams are very involved. As you can imagine, we are not testing on the basics of law. Our skill level and knowledge level is much higher than what a bar examination 
tests, bar examination tests, general law and general principles. But when it's time to be certified in a specific area, obviously that applicant has to know the intricacies and details of that area of practice. My recommendation is that any attorney seeking to pass a certification examination, even if they've been practicing in the area for many years, would be to study for the exam. And in fact, posted on the certification website are the exam specifications for each area, the areas of the practice which will be tested with sample questions and sample answers to assist the applicant in focusing on which areas the applicant should be studying. And some areas like real estate are very broad, and it's nearly impossible for the real estate practitioner to be up-to-date and knowledgeable as an expert would be in every area of real estate law. So it certainly makes sense for that applicant to take some time and study the materials that they are not familiar with so that when they get those types of questions on the exam, they'll be able to answer them. And in fact, one of the reasons that there is an examination process is part of the enhancement of the lawyer's skills and knowledge. Uh, An attorney who takes the time and effort to take a a certification examination, even if they don't pass, they will have much more knowledge about their own subject area and practice area than before they started to prepare or take that exam than they had when they applied. And so for just promoting the attorney's own knowledge and experience in their practice area, besides the fact that they're trying to become board certified, the whole process itself is an education. And I had to study many hours for the real estate examination when I took it in 1995. I took the exam very seriously, and I'm glad I did because the area is so broad. And I would think that if anyone just decides to walk into an examination without taking the time to study, that they should expect that they will not pass. Okay. I want to bring Diana and Jessica into the discussion now because I want to talk about the actual steps. So if I know that I meet the basic requirements and I've gone to the bar website, what kind of fees am I paying? How do I start this process with the bar? For certification, the application fee is going to be $250 and you will be communicating with your staff liaison for that area committee. We have a certification specialist that's designated to each area of certification, and that is on the website as well, Florida Bar website. There is an annual fee per year, which is $150. And then when you recertify, you wouldn't pay the annual fee that year. You would just pay the recertification application fee. We do have options for extensions at some point if you need a recertification. If you're filing for recertification, you need an extension. We also offer that and there are fees for those. And all of the fee schedules, they are listed in our Board of Legal Specialization and Education Policies 2.04, which are on the website as well. Thank you so much. Jessica, what do you do in your role as the Education Compliance and Accreditation Manager? Yes, I monitor the daily activities of course accreditation. So when sponsors send us courses to be accredited that they can put on their program that this has been accredited by the Florida Bar. So that handles any general credits, professional responsibility, any areas of certification. We look for all of those when accrediting a course. 
And then we also handle the activities of posting credits for attorneys of courses taken outside of the bar's approved courses. So anything from other states or any other providers that don't send us their courses, we post those activities as well. Great. I'm glad you asked that because we at PRI really depend on our website and the bar's main website for the dissemination of information. And we like to provide our callers with online resources that they can refer to again and again. However, invariably, we get contacted by members that either can't or don't want to uh, access a computer and they just want to speak with someone. And they often just don't know which department to ask for. So if someone has a general CLE question about, you know, let's say the basic skills course requirement, requirement or the minimum required number of credit hours, should they contact your department? Yes, they would definitely want to contact LSC and I can provide you with the phone number. It is on the website as well as a lot of our frequently asked questions are also on the website. Sure. And if they want information about the on-demand CLEs, so PRI, we have a catalog of CLEs, but often we get callers that ask about other CLEs outside of our catalog. So if anyone has a question about that, do they also speak with you? Yes, they would also talk to us. The Florida Bar, again, on the website is where our catalog of courses are. So any course that the Florida Bar sponsors itself. And then there are outside providers that we like to mention to attorneys where they can buy packages of CLEs or just providers who get their courses accredited because it's always easier if it's accredited to enter the credits online rather than having to send them to us. Right. And as far as checking their own CLE credit status, I know that we have the members portal and that that information is readily available. However, if someone is calling again because they don't want to access a computer or can't, is that someone that is something that they would call your department for? Yes, they would definitely want to call this department. We are the only department that I know of that can see the LSE database, which lists a summary of all their credits that they've taken and will need to take before their cycle ends. And Jessica, go ahead and give us that number for our listeners. The phone number for our department, the LSE department, is 850-561-5842. And I'd also like to give you the email for general inquiries is clemail at floridabar.org. Great. That's actually really helpful because we do deal with our members via email a lot. So it would be nice to be able to give them an email for those that actually can access a computer. My next question is about the professional responsibility course requirements. We've contacted you before about this and your clarification was very helpful. So thank you for that. But can you explain to our listeners which category of courses count towards this requirement? Yes, professional responsibility has a couple different components. There is ethics. You can take professionalism courses, mental illness awareness, substance abuse courses, and bias elimination. Wonderful. So you talked about CLE registration for board certification fees and registration and whatnot, but what about for just general CLE registration and payment functions? Is that handled by a different department or is it handled by LSE? Yes, if they're signing up to take a CLE, that is going to go through registrations department. If they're paying for accreditation, that would come through our department. So if they want to get a course accredited to offer in Florida or outside of Florida, they would pay us to evaluate their courses. And I know the last big change that people are still talking about was we added the three hours of technology requirement here in Florida. Have there been other recent changes to CLE requirements or do you know of any that are expected that are pending? 
Um, I believe we are working on two of the professional responsibility courses currently. So professionalism, I think we're working towards changing that policy a little bit. And Diana can help me out here. I think we're trying to make it a mandatory one hour. And then, right, mandatory one hour of professionalism credit. The same as we specify for three hours for technology it's in the works to have one hour be required for professionalism. That has not been approved yet, but that is going through the process. Excellent. I think we're also working on the mental illness awareness category. I think we're going to try to broaden that to include mental illness as well as... Yeah, to broaden the category of mental health and wellness versus so there's not a negative stigma. It's a broader category than what it portrays. And can you tell us as... People are earning all these CLEs. In the old days, you had to travel and you paid a fee, you know, and you would sit in the class and and watch someone teach the class to get your CLE credits. Are there other ways that bar members can earn CLE credits to satisfy their total for their recording period? Of course, we have a number of individual activities. So there is the course attendance. There's also lecturing at CLEs that gets them extra CLE credit. So, I mean, it varies, but depending on the level of the course, they can get three to five to seven and a half credits just for lecturing for an hour. There's also written CLE credit. So if you write an article for a professional publication or journal, you can get credit for that written material. We also give credit for attending university classes in the area of law, as well as teaching university courses. Wonderful. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. Stephen Rubin, Diana Kellogg, and Jessica Malloy, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. And Steve, if our listeners have follow-up questions about the board certification process, is there a way for them to contact you or who should they speak to? How can they reach that person or you? My personal cell number is... No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, my information is online on the bar website by email. My office number is online. I'm happy to answer any questions that anyone has about board certification at any time. Please feel free to contact my office and I will respond if I'm not available at that particular moment, but we'll certainly respond to any question. Excellent. Thank you. So if you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple podcast. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar podcast brought to you by the Practice Resource Institute on Legal Talk Network. I'm Christine Bilbury. And I'm Carla Eckhart. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Florida Bar podcast brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Institute and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find the Florida Bar, the Florida Bar Practice Resource Institute, and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.